Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Well, good morning, everybody. It's first Sunday of 2020. New year, new decade, same faithfulness of the Lord. Amen. On the screen is our first fighter verse of 2020. As a church family, we uh, seek to devote ourselves to not kind of knowing God's word. We really want to be devoted. We want to know who he is. And the way we know who God is, is he's chosen to reveal himself in scripture. That is our firm conviction and hope. And uh, when I turned the page on 2020 and saw the first two words of the first fighter verse, I said, uh, I I don't know what 2020 is going to hold, but this is a good way to enter the year. So if you came this morning fearful, fear not. I'm really thankful for the I am's, the my's, and the I will's of Isaiah 41.10. He's got two I am's in there. This will help you with your fear, because a lot of times we fear that he's not with us. Well, the scripture says he is. Now, it is important to note that this verse, this passage, is written to those who trust him and want to believe and follow him. So you don't have to be afraid. He's not forsaken you. You need to trust this on the day Isaiah is writing in a day where a lot of people were prone to thinking that he had departed, he had left, he had forsaken. Well, he says, I know I'm with you. And something really helpful from this passage is that my hope is not that I'm going to strengthen myself. And my hope is not that I'm going to help myself. And my hope is not that I'm going to uphold myself. That's actually a shortcut to fear, friends. Because I don't know what 2020 is going to hold. You don't have to raise your hand on this, but how many of you dealt with some things in 2019 that the first Sunday of 2019 you didn't know was coming in 2019? Now, our hope and our fighting fear is not that there won't be anything that's kind of fearful to come. That wasn't Abraham's hope. He dealt with some fearful things. That wasn't Moses' hope. Wasn't Ruth's hope. God was their hope and their ever-present help, not because there would no be, be no time of need, but he is their hope in time of need. So we call them fighter verses uh, because we fight against some things. This verse will help you fight against some temptations, some temptations, some thoughts, some counsel of the wicked, right? Psalm 1-1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel of the wicked will tell you that uh, he's not with you. He's not going to strengthen you. He's not going to help you. He's not going to uphold you. The scripture says he will. He will. He will. So if uh, you want to join us in the fight, so to speak, uh, every, every week over the course of 2020, just like we did in 2019, 2018, 2017, it's our fourth year doing this together as a church family. We have fighter verses. If you don't have a pack uh, of verses, of, this is what it looks like, and you want one, we've got one per family uh, as long as supplies last. And if they run out, we'll get more. Amen? So if you don't have fighter verses, uh, I'd be glad to get you those this morning as best as we can. And we're on set four again. Uh, and it's really encouraging to me in my life to know that I'm seeking the Lord in his word and some others in our church family are, uh, are as well. Father, I pray for anybody here today that's fearful. They have entered 2020 and life is stressful and it's hard and things are going on that they didn't maybe anticipate they would ever deal with in life. But that is their reality right now. We trust that you're God and you're sovereign. And what is going on in life is uh, what seems over their head is under your feet. I believe that. I pray right now in Jesus' name that on the authority of God's word, those who've trusted in Jesus will know that you are with them. In the valley, you're with them. And maybe what seems like right now a dry hole, you'd make it a spring of life for them. The valley of trouble would be a place that you would use to be a place where they have learned persevering faith. Lord, I pray for the one today that is dismayed. That means they just don't know where to go, where to turn. Almost paralyzed by life. Lord, that they will look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And now I pray for this service right now, that it will be spirit-led. Oh 
God, that the gospel will be proclaimed. And Father, it will be clearly evident from your word, while we ought not to fear, how clear it is that in Christ you are with us. You will help us. You will strengthen us. And the hand that upholds us is a mighty hand. It's a nail-pierced hand. Thank you for Jesus. All of our hope is in him. Lead us, we pray in his name. Amen. From this darkness, he will lead us. He is the Lord our God. I'm going to invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's word. And uh, by God's grace, his word will fall on good soil today. I'm just going to read a small portion of the first verse of the text that we will be studying this morning as uh, together as a church family we jump into resuming our study through the gospel of Mark, a series we are calling Servant and Savior. This is what Jesus says that he is and what he's come to do. So Mark chapter 4 verse 1, again just a small portion, and Jesus, he began to teach. Let's pray together. What better teacher could we have, Lord? What more sober or faithful teacher could we have? So, Lord, I thank you that because of Jesus, we're not going to live in ignorance today. We're not going to live in darkness. We're going to hear from the light of the world. And I pray that we really have a desire to hear the teaching of Jesus. All the things that in my own life I listen to and pay attention to. Would you give me spirit-filled attention to what Jesus has to say and may all the other voices during this time that we're together be silenced so that we can hear the one that we really need to hear from. We pray this in his name, Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. Uh, As a preacher, I often think about uh, the beginning of a sermon uh, needs often been told and taught that it kind of needs a hook, right? You want to say something or do something at the start of a sermon that sort of brings everybody in. Most every preaching book I've ever read, every preaching class I've ever taken emphasizes uh, that point. So here's my hook. You ready for the hook? We're going to study something that Jesus taught. Now I pray that's enough of a hook for you today, that we're going to study something that Jesus teaches It says there in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered. Estimates about 15,000 people were there. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a teaching of the one who truly knows us, Jesus, the one who really loves us. It's the teaching of the best teacher. And uh, praise the Lord, he's more than a teacher, amen? He's the king, he's the Messiah, he is uh, the Savior, And uh, we're going to study what he teaches. The good thing about this parable, it's my favorite parable to preach. And the reason that it's my favorite parable to preach is because if we'll keep reading, Jesus tells us what the parable is all about, right? So no no guesswork going on here. As uh, one commentator says, this this parable doesn't need exposition or explaining. It simply needs applying. And I think that's uh, true. But I want you to know that as Jesus begins to teach this parable, the disciples are a little bit perplexed that when he has a very large crowd gathered... This is the course of action that he takes. You read there in verse 10. It says, when he was alone, a little bit later on, when the crowd is not all standing around, those around with him, with the twelve, asked him about the parables. Well, to understand what that's getting at, uh, over in Matthew's account, in fact, Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, the same account of what's going on here, 
It says that this was their question, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you speak to them in parables? Well, to understand what's going on, let's read a little bit. Let's stay right there in Mark. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 28. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is after Jesus has healed a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. And so, so word about him's getting out. Look at verse 32, same chapter, Mark 1. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 37. When Jesus is alone praying, it says, They found him, Simon Peter had gone to look for him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Are we tracking together? Jesus is healing people, and his fame and his uh, reputation are spreading, and a lot of people are interested. Makes sense? Chapter 2, verse 12. It says, a man, the paralytic, rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out from before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Chapter 2, verse 13, he went out again beside the seat, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And uh, if we continued on, you'd see uh, chapter 4, what we just read. He began to teach people beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. And when he's got... 15,000 people, he teaches them a parable. And the disciples, when they get their group together and they're going to do their strategic planning, here's what they're saying. Is this really the best thing to do when we got all these people here? To teach them a parable? Why, why are you teaching them a parable? Why, why are you doing this? Things have been going really well, and we're building momentum. In fact, we're building a movement, and a whole lot of people have turned out, and they're saying it's just sort of like the air went out of the balloon. We're going to talk about, we're going to pick that thought up in a moment. But here's what I want to do for, for, just a, for just a second. We're at the new year, and uh, I just want to encourage you at the new year, in light of this parable, to sow the Word of God into your life. Uh, this is a good time, if it's not happening right now, that you sort of rededicate yourself. Listen, you'll never be an abiding Christian apart from the regular reading of Scripture, the regular intake of Scripture. You want to read the Bible like for your spiritual health, the way you eat food for your physical well-being, right? Uh, and so whenever, I just want to share with you, uh, this is kind of the deal. Though. This, this is what was going on for much of my life. I knew what I should do, but I didn't know how to do it. Does that make sense? It's like if you get a flat tire, you know what you should do. What should you do? Change it. But that's not the same as knowing how to change a tire. Does it make sense? You know that you should do the laundry, but if you have little children helping you at home, sometimes they don't know how to do the laundry. So how many of you know you should read the Bible every day, regularly? Yes. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you know how to read the Bible? I'm not asking if you know how to read. I'm asking if you know how to read the Bible this is really helpful for me, and so I want to briefly share it with you, because Jesus is telling us a parable that the Word of God is like uh, a man who goes out and sows seed. And sometimes it, the seed falls on rock-hard pavement. That's what he's talking about. It'd be like if I took seed and went out to the parking lot, and I threw that seed out, and I kept coming back and said, where's the plant? There is no plant. Why? It's not the seed is deficient, it's the soil that's deficient, right? And, and other times he goes out and he tosses some seed, and uh, the soil is very shallow, And so it's a little bit confusing because immediately a plant springs up, but then the sun comes out and the plant withers and it never bears any fruit because the soil was shallow. And some other soil, uh, it's got some thorns in it, and so the plant begins to grow, but then the thorns come along and choke out the seed, right? So the Word of God is the seed. It is not up for debate or discussion if the Word of God is alive and active. It is. The question is whether we are alive and active unto the word, right? So, so a, a great way to deepen the soil of your heart, to clear the soil of your heart, and to soften the soil of your heart is to know an approach to reading the Bible that, that you really are going to hear from what God has to say in his word. I want to put a couple of questions on the screen. Questions that help reading the Bible come alive. Again, this is like the actual mechanics of changing the tire. You say, I know the tire needs to be changed, but how do I do that? Well, I know I should read the Bible, but I want you to have the grace to admit in your own life the humility to say, 
I don't really know how. Do I have to go to seminary or something to learn that? Do I, do I have to, is there something wrong with me, right? That's what I've thought oftentimes in my life. When, when I was uh, like 13 or 14 years old, somebody like me stood before me in a group and really encouraged that I should read through the Bible and make it a part of it. And I said, that's true. So here's my plan. This is just my immaturity. 13 years old, before I would head off to Edwards Junior High School for the day, I set my alarm for 6 o'clock, uh, and it would go off, and I would get up, and I had a one-year Bible, and by 6.02, I was done reading that passage. Because I just knew I should, so I wanted to, and I wanted to do it really fast. And here's just my immature mindset. At 6.02, I went back to bed. And had another alarm set for 7, so I could just kind of sleep a little bit more. That was just who I was at that time. But really what was true of me was I knew that I could open up the book and find that day, and I'd read it, and then I'd close it, and then that was kind of where it ended, right? Anybody else ever been there? So you read a passage of Scripture, and then here's some questions that you can ask, right? So reading the Bible is a little bit like having a conversation. But you want to know what to ask because the Bible is alive. You want your life to change. You want to abide in Christ. You become a man or a woman of the Word. So when are you going to read the Bible tomorrow? Listen, if you don't have a plan, guess what? You're not going to read it. Tomorrow's going to come, and Tuesday's going to come, and Wednesday's going to come, and you're not going to read the Scripture. And again, what I want to do is remove a barrier, not the only barrier, but a barrier in life to say, I know I should read it, but what am I supposed to do when I read it? Well, you read a passage, and you ask these questions. What does this passage teach me about God? The Bible is primarily a book about Him before it's a book about you, before it's a book about me. The Bible is about him. God has revealed to us who he is in his word. Some of you might say, well, I don't like to read. There's a lot of us that don't like to read. But you just think about this. God has chosen to reveal himself through this book. And I don't know about you, but when we stand before the Lord, don't you think it'll sound pretty hollow to tell him, well, I would have read. I would have known you through the word. I just didn't really like to read going to sound hollow then so may it sound hollow now i'm not criticizing i know i'm not criticizing if you don't like to read or anything like that but this is do you want to know god so think instead of we're people of the book we don't worship the bible we worship the god of the bible amen but to know him we have to know his word so what does this passage teach me about god well and then and then what does this passage teach me about people and about myself about my thoughts, my assumptions, my inclinations, my attitudes, and my habits. The Bible will tell you a lot about yourself. Do you know the Bible knows you better than you know you? So you start with those questions. And then questions to help the Bible keep coming alive. Is there a promise here to believe? Is there a warning to pay attention to? Is there a sin to confess or a sin to avoid in what I just read? Is there an example to follow? I think we might have a few more going through these pretty quick. Or is that it? That's it. Well, is there... A praise to give to the Lord. I'd add that one. Does that make sense? So now the Bible isn't just words on a page. It is telling me about who God is, who I am, and therefore what I should do. I wanted to give that briefly, and then we're going to use that. We're going to adopt that method for our study this morning. So let's keep moving together right here to this parable. And uh, when we ask the question, what does this passage teach me about myself and about people? We get that from verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Supplement Matthew 13, 10. The disciples asked, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, Jesus is pivoting in his earthly ministry. He's been teaching up to this point, but now he begins to teach primarily in parables. You know, 35% of Jesus' teaching in the scriptures is in parables parables and now the disciples are worried and what are they worried about if Jesus continues to teach this way what are they worried about the very great crowd is going to become what a smaller crowd that's going to become a smaller crowd that's going to become a smaller crowd and what did that just reveal you know what I think I think they're right it's right it's true Because they've got in their mindset that Jesus is building momentum of this great earthly kingdom movement. And that's a powerful stream, friends. And when Jesus changes tactics in their little strategy session, they suggest to Jesus this isn't the best way to go about it. So here's here's something we learn about ourselves. 
we're very quick to tell God what he should be doing. That ever happened in your life? You look around at your life and you're like, well, here's what's going on. But God, did you ever think maybe you should do this <laughs> instead? Or God, when you allowed this into my life, what were you thinking? Why is this hard thing present? Why did you adopt this method? If, if you're praying for laborers to go into the harvest to reach the nations, that's your method? That's your mission? Yes, yes, it is. They're worried that if Jesus keeps doing this parable thing, it's going to go over like New Coke went over. Do you remember that? We had New Coke. And people weren't very impressed with New Coke. But Jesus isn't running a for-profit business. He has come to transform the world. And it's not going to go the way that they thought that it should go. In expressing their concern that people prefer miracles and healings to parables, they prove the point of the parable, don't they? Like you're just demonstrating what I just told you. I've got seed, it's the word of God, and it's better. Because I healed the leper, that was glorious. I healed the paralytic, that was glorious. I healed the man with the withered hand, that's where we've been so far in the Gospel of Mark. But those healings, though they're powerful, aren't saving works. Because he'll still die. And you'll still die. And it's what we learned about ourselves is we do. This is true of human beings. We prefer physical marvels to spiritual truth. We do. We do. It's always been so. Now, does God love the leper that he healed? Absolutely. Is God glorified in the man who stretched out his hand? Absolutely. But what all of those things are are arrows pointing to something greater and what Jesus is saying is don't settle for the uh, sign that points to the greater thing and fall short of the greater thing which is the salvation of your soul the disciples like most people see listen to me see are impressed by and now are motivated by sustaining the size of the crowd and crowds are really impressive aren't they But we want to be careful with this. We don't ever want crowd-pleasing to be the metric for success in life. We don't ever want to be uh, crowd-attracting to be the metric of success for the church. The disciples pulled Jesus aside to tell him, hey, if you keep doing this, your number of Instagram followers is going to start diminishing. And your popularity is going to diminish. And the disciples, like most of us, saw the size of the crowd and wanted it to continue to increase. But Jesus saw the crowd and said, I'm actually going to the cross, and my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And that's what we learn about ourselves here in this passage, too. Again and again, we will have to choose in life, do I want to be a, the crowd pleaser, or am I going to take up my cross? Because the disciples are right. We'll continue through the Gospel of Mark. And the crowd size is going to get fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer until we get to the cross and there's just a handful. But, but there will be a multitude around the throne. You see, it is about a crowd and yet it's not about a crowd. Does that make sense? It's about winning the multitudes but not pleasing them to do so. Because if Jesus does what the crowd wants to do, He'll never save them. So if you can think that you apply the word of God to your life this way, to ever really love and serve somebody, well, let me put it, you'll never really love and serve somebody and need their approval at the same time. So is there a warning to pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. This whole parable is actually a warning. The warning is that your heart towards the word of God can be hard it can be divided or it can be shallow and if it is you'll miss out on an abundant life we'll just go on and read here that uh, Jesus responds to them in verse 11 to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God but for those outside everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive they've seen the miracles but they haven't perceived what it's really about They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the words sown on rocky ground. Or these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. 
They have no root in themselves but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Jesus says that your heart responds to the word of God in one of four ways. First of all, there's the hard heart. Cast seed, preaching the word, throwing out seed right now. Or as you witness, you share the gospel, you throw seed out, and some of it falls on hearts that are really, really hard. That's the seed by the path. Again, Mark 4, 4. He sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. He explains in verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. The path in those days, there's no highways, no cement. But from village to village and place to place, there were walking paths. And over time, that, that uh, soil would get really packed down. And the closest, again, you just say, you go out here to our parking lot and throw seed down. Well, it's not going to penetrate the soil. Why? It's hard. Hard-hearted. And that's one condition of uh, how people receive the word of God. A hard-hearted person is one who either will not listen to the word at all or listens to the word a lot, but never does it. Remember, Jesus warns in Matthew 7, build your house on the rock, for the winds will come and the rains will come and beat against the house. There's two uh, people building houses in that passage that Jesus teaches, and from the outside, they look the same. But it's what their life is actually founded on. It's your heart hard. The word never penetrates the surface, just gets snatched away. A second condition is a shallow heart. That's Mark 4, 5. It says, the word goes out, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And Jesus explains that in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. You see, it's not, they're not anti-God, they're not anti-Jesus, they receive it. But look what happens, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So initially, this looks like someone who received the word joyfully. But two things demonstrate this soil is not good soil. What are they? Time and testing. True and authentic faith in Jesus is demonstrated over time and especially in times of testing. If you're in a test right now, don't despise the test. Don't despise the test. Count it all joy, brothers, when we face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Some people hear the word and they respond, and we're even quick to say they're followers of Jesus. But time and testing demonstrates true faith. What's going on here? A trial can come along. And the shallow-hearted person forsakes God because all along they really thought God exists to make their life comfortable and easy. Their joy was never really in Jesus. Their joy was in their own ease. This is the heart that comes to Jesus not to submit to him as Lord, but the one who comes to him just as blesser. Just bless me, bless me, bless me. But I want you to know the greatest blessing of God is God. And a third heart is a divided heart, the thorny soil, Mark 4, 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verses 18 and 19, and those others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful cares of the world just caught up in passing things what's trending right now what's popular here in the moment the deceitfulness of riches oh, if i just got more stuff i'd really be happy and the desire for other things that's a really broad category isn't it the desire for other things the desires for any and everything that's not the word of god and not the things of god 
But when you have that desire, look what happens according to the parable. It chokes out the hearing of the word. What is your greatest desire? To really know God? Or is your greatest desire for money? Your greatest desire is to be liked. Or your greatest desire is recognition. Or your greatest desire is entertainment and ease. What is the driving desire of your soul? Now, if you're able to hear this today, and you're able to realize there's some of my heart is hard. Some of my heart is shallow. Some of my heart is divided. I've got some thorns in here. Well, here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a blessing for you to realize there's something going on in my heart that's not conducive to receiving the word and being fruitful. So if you've got thorns, what do you need to do? Who knows what you need to do? If you're planting a garden, you've got thorns in the garden, what do you do? It's okay to say it out loud. You remove them. Because it's 2020, and there's some people in the room who in 2019, some things needed to go, but they didn't go. In fact, in 2018, it needed to go, and it didn't go materialism, sexual immorality, the lust of the flesh, pornography. You you really think the word of God and the lust of the flesh are simultaneously going to thrive in your life? Absolutely not. What did you just say? It's going to choke it out. Or Maybe your heart's really shallow. From the outward appearance, you are a joyful follower of Jesus, but it just takes the smallest little trial over the shortest period of time that you throw up your hands and say, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not going to keep loving. I'm not going to keep serving. I'm not going to keep putting others first. I'm done with that. Praise God Almighty, Jesus never said, I'm done with that. Went all the way to the cross. Or maybe you say, my heart, man, it is so hard. Do you know what hardens the heart? Hearing the word and not doing it. That hardens the heart and deceives you into thinking, I know what the word says, but if you know what the word says and you don't do it, you'll never be fruitful. But I'll tell you what, as I study this passage, and I've preached this parable many times before, one of the things I was blessed by is uh, that fourth soil. And this goes back to the question, what does this passage teach us about God? You know what this passage teaches us about God? God desires for you to have abundance. How about that? God desires for you to have abundance. God does not desire for you to squeeze out one little piece of fruit every now and then. 30-fold, I read this week, I'm, I'm not a farmer, that the most optimistic return on seed is eight-fold. That's like unbelievable. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In other words, something supernatural has gone on here. When the Word of God is sown, your fruitfulness is not limited by your ability. The word of God will never return void to the Lord who sent it out. And so your life becomes fruitful in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and in self-control. God desires that you'd have abundance. Verse 8, other seed fell into good soil and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding. Now, to use the terms of the parable, is your life right now growing, producing, increasing, and yielding fruit for the kingdom? Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, most of the times I've ever preached on this parable, I've always focused on the bad soils. And Jesus, when he teaches in parables, Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the main point comes at the end. And the end is God has abundance for you. What does this teach us about God? Let me give you an illustration. This illustration comes from a Charles Spurgeon sermon. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said that he has a pastor friend. And Spurgeon was a great preacher in London in the uh, 19th century. And so Spurgeon related this story. He had a pastor friend in the London area. And near Christmas... He learned at his church that there was a widow, an older widow, who uh, was way behind on her rent. Wasn't going to be able to pay it. And so this pastor said, well, we have a benevolence fund at our church. I'm going to go to the widow's house and uh, I'm going to pay her debt. Many generous people have given so that we can help. We bear one another's burdens. And so uh, the pastor goes to the widow's house, finds it, and knocks on the door. 
And he thinks that he hears some movement inside. And that's a universal experience for pastors over the generations knocking on the door. I just want you to know we can hear. We can hear it. When you say, shh, I heard that. I've heard. If we wait long enough, he'll go away. I've heard it. Knocks again. No answer. So he's got the money to pay the debt. She doesn't come to the door. He returns to the church. The following Sunday, he sees the widow at the church. The pastor goes up to her and said, uh, I came by to see you this week. And she said, oh, you did? When was that? So he names the time and place that he went to see her. And her face kind of got one of these looks. Her eyes got big. She said, oh, I didn't know it was you. I thought it was the landlord come to collect the debt. He's come to pay the debt, friends. Some of us are hard-hearted because we think he's come to collect the rent. And as a faithful, Lord willing, faithful proclaimer of God's word, there is a debt. There is a debt. But Christ's series is called Servant and Savior because Jesus has come and he's knocking. I'll pay it. I'll pay it in full. It's not going to be popular the way that I'm going to do it. The crowds are going to diminish. But my love for the crowd is greater than my need for the approval of the crowd. Scripture says that Jesus did not entrust himself to anybody because he knew what was in the heart of man. Even when the crowd gave their approval, it's not worth very much because of what's in our hearts. We don't approve the right things. So you can rest assured if sometimes you get some disapproval and outright persecution from the world around you, it's okay. Rejoice and be glad for so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. Jesus has come to pay the debt. So when you approach his word, say, I'm going to be a person of the word. You are reading the word of the debt payer, not necessarily the debt collector, although he is coming back. He is coming back to to make a full reckoning of, of all sin. But it's paid in full, friends. And God desires abundance for you. So one of the applications for this is, I think it's a combination, but what I don't tell you is the soil of your heart, you do bear some responsibility for it. I mean, if it's shallow, there is some of that that is on you. Because we give ourselves over to shallow things. If there's thorns, do you remember what it was that Adam had the responsibility to do? To what? Keep the garden. Keep the garden. And isn't this wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful, well, that's why Jesus is the great teacher, right? Isn't it a great parable? When you are uh, planting a plant and you seek it to bear fruit, isn't there part of it that God does? Seed is in God's domain. Amen? Sunlight, God's domain. Water. God's domain. Shovel, your domain. Sweat of the brow, your domain. In fact, um, if you got rocky soil, do you know that the only way to really get those rocks out is to do some bending and some kneeling and some work. Got to get it gone. Now, Christian life is not, let's just throw more seed, more seed, more seed on this rocky soil, this shallow soil, this thorny soil. No, the Christian life is, let's clear it, let's deepen it, let's unite it, right? And then the best, the best question to ask as you study the scripture is to say, how does this passage get me to the cross? And here's what I'd tell you. Here's what I'd tell you. a little thought that came to my mind. Jesus is going to walk the path all the way to Jerusalem. And he's going to go to that rocky place called Golgotha. And they are going to place a crown of thorns on his head. So the softening of hard hearts, the deepening of shallow hearts, and the uniting of a divided heart begins with you hearing and seeing his word towards you. So can that seed just be dropped in your heart? He's going to walk the path. 
Your heart like a hard heart, a hard path, he's going to walk that path. Your heart rocky ground, I'm gonna, he's going to go to the <laughs> rocky place, this place of the skull, they called it. And they're going to put on him a crown of thorns so that every wrong thing about your heart, he's going to pay for in order to soften your heart, deepen your heart, unite your heart. Yes, yes, he can heal you of your diseases. Yes, he can heal you of paralysis. He can heal, but I also want you to see that he's mighty to save. He can save your soul, forgive your sin, take your hard, shallow, divided heart and make your life abundant. Let's put something next, a slide on the screen. This is kind of a concluding thought here. How many of you have ever thought it would be this year, right? I mean, where has the time gone? It's 2020. And so to use this parable, he who has ears to hear, the condition of your heart has a whole lot to do with this. Let's go to the next slide. Right? (laughs) The condition of your heart right now has a whole lot to do with what you did in 2019. What did you sow into your life? And it's not just that. Let's go to the next slide. 2020 actually has a lot to do with 2009, 11 years ago. Some of you have the fruit of faithfulness passed down to you from those who walked before you, and they bear much fruit. But not only that, 2020, oh boy. I know some of you are saying, I wasn't even alive then. And others of you are saying, wasn't that yesterday, 50 years ago? Condition of your heart right now has implications for what was done in the past. Does that make sense? And then one other is this one. We've got a decade in front of us, 2030. Some of us are not going to be alive in 2030. And it might surprise us who is and who is not. This is how life works. Not promised tomorrow. But if I get to 2030, here's what's non-negotiable. The condition of my heart in 2030 is going to have a lot to do with what I've decided to do in my life in 2020. And if there's thorns there that need to go, and I say, well, you know, that's just my disposition. That's just what I struggle with. It's just, you know, how I'm wired. You can get unwired by the grace of God. It's just my habits. Well, you can get unhabited in order to be inhabited by the grace of God. And a closing illustration, and then three really simple and practical ideas I don't have one. I thought about trying to do this, um, and then just truth be told, it was just seemed like a whole lot of work, so I didn't do it, but y'all forgive me. I was going to give everybody an acorn this morning, but we're just going to imagine it, all right? So you just picture an acorn is in your hand. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now that acorn, you could put it on the ground and... But do you know what also is in an acorn? A forest. A forest is in an acorn. And so here's what's going on this morning. We've preached the word. It has gone out. And whether you read the word or hear other sermons or you listen to podcasts or you read books, and I hope you do all of it, that's being broadcast. This is the word of God's going out. And sometimes it's going to fall on a hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart. But when it falls on good soil, it produces. Fruitfulness is the mark of those who abide in Christ. What all three of the other soils have in common is no fruit. It's fruitless. Rootless and useless. So three really practical ideas as we can conclude. Sow the word into your life abundantly. I don't think any, anybody produces abundantly when the word is not sown into their life abundantly. So read the word. Don't dabble in it. Don't skim it. Uh, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, what he really wants to do, is to meditate. Meditate. Think about. Pray about. Meditate on the law day and night. So, uh, so read the word. Don't procrastinate about it. Have a non-negotiable time that you're in the Word every day. You're reading it. What's to say about God? What's to say about me? Is there a promise? Is there a command? Is there a, is there a sin to confess? Is there an example to follow or not follow? Read the Word with your children. Read the Word with your spouse, husbands and wives. If you're here and it's been a long time since y'all just sat down and you read Read through Philippians together. Read the word with your brother and sister in Christ. Meet for coffee, not to talk, but, well, you can talk, but read the word first. 
Read the word in the morning. Read the word in the evening. Love the word more than you love television or Netflix or movies or sports. Love the word more than you love fishing or hunting or reading other things. Uh, one of the, my favorite apps of 2019 that I came across is the Dwell app. Those who went to Atlanta gave you a sample, and it's just a reading of the word. Divide it up over 365 days, and sometimes I'll read the word. Sometimes I'll take a walk just to, just to listen to the word of God. The Dwell app's not free. It's $20 a year, but uh, there's worse ways to spend $20 and probably not many better ways. So, so one, read the word. Second, reflect on the word. Use the Bible reading questions to increase your depth of soil. Have ears to hear. Again, you have a lot to do with the soil of your own heart. It's not mom's job, dad's job, husband's jobs, wife's jobs, children's job. It's your responsibility. If you'll pick up a shovel, clear some rocks, remove some weeds and some thorns, it takes some work, but it can be, do- be done. Can you imagine if I asked uh, one of my children to clean their room and they went and laid on the bed and said, I just don't know why I'm not getting anywhere with this. One of the points of the parable is that it requires some work. So read the Word, but then develop habits that help you reflect on the Word. Take notes of your Bible reading. If you get an answer, a glorious answer, what does this teach me about God? It teaches me that God is merciful. You write that down on January the 5th, because on January the 5th, 2030, you're probably going to need that reminder. So who knows what's going to come? I need to be reminded that He is God. I need to be reminded that He will help me. I need to be reminded that he will uphold me by his mighty, righteous right hand. Write down what's worthwhile from Sunday morning sermons and Sunday school and then read it back over before you go to bed on Sunday night or through the, through the week. Just grab a hold of the word, the word and cling to it like a life jacket in the ocean. That's what it is. Read the word, reflect on the word, and then last Simple idea, but it'll change the world. Respond to the word. Got a sin to confess and it's revealed in the word, you do that. And by his grace and by his spirit, you fight against that sin with all your life. That's how you produce abundance. The thorn doesn't have right to your life. You need to know this. The thorn doesn't have hold, right, claim, authority. It can go. He wore a crown of them to demonstrate, I will take this from you. So respond to the word. Don't be a hearer only. You know what the truth of the matter is? Better to read one verse and obey it than read a thousand verses and not do it. Just grab a hold and say, Lord, you're going to lead me? Sometimes in life, I'll just tell you this. Sometimes in life we're saying, well, God, I just want to know your will for my life. Obey the last verse that you read. (laughs) So what do you want me to do with my life? I want you to read this word, I want it to abide in you, and I want you to do it. It's how to live a spirit-led life. So when it comes, when it comes to the word of God, to hearing, reading, believing, loving, obeying the word of God, and ultimately, of course, the God of the word, is your heart hard this morning? Like it just bounces off. Is it shallow? It goes down some, just not very far, and not long enough to bear fruit. Is it divided? Like little shoots will come up, and you have little fits and spurts and starts, but then it's just a matter of time until the thorns overwhelm. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is for you, not against you. He's for you, not against you. He's come to pay the debt. Not to collect the debt. He desires for you a life of abundance. Life of abundance. Stand together and we'll pray together. Take a step right into the invitation this morning. A great way to think about an invitation for a sermon is that we're going to put those two questions together. What does this teach me about God and what does it teach me about myself? That's what an invitation is, bringing those two things together. They have everything to do with one another. So you may be here today and you say, I've got a hard heart. I've got a great God. He's merciful and patient. 
I got some thorns, and I know exactly. I can call the thorns by name. And they were there in 2019. They were there in 2018. They were there in 2008. They've been here as long as I can remember. They can be overcome. Don't believe the lie that your heart can never produce abundance. It can. It's going to take some work, and it's going to take the seed. God can do it. The invitation is going to be open. It's a desire for your heart to come and pray here at the front. By all means, don't hesitate to do that. Don't ever resist the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Got a burden and concern. You say, I just really want somebody to pray with me this morning. It would be my joy to do that. Maybe in your heart today you've realized that Jesus is the Savior. And whether right now the invitation or immediately when the service is over, anytime, day or night, it would be my joy to sit down and talk with you and pray with you. Think through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Be my privilege to do that. Thirty-fold, Father, sixty-fold, a hundredfold. God may the world around us not starve for lack of fruit in the church. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Father, forgive us when we tell you what you should be doing. Father, forgive us when we don't do what you say. We, we, want it, we want that sometimes. We want to tell you what to do, but not what you tell us to do. Oh God, give us grace. And I'm praying for a great harvest among our church family in 2020 because we've sown abundantly. And you've done what only you can do by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit but likewise we have done what we can do we've removed some thorns with your help we've cleared some rocks with your help and our heart it is deepening and clearing and uniting so that you can bring a harvest lead our invitation time we pray in Jesus name